All right, welcome back to Lindroth Hockey Podcast. We are in partnership with Black and Gold Hockey Productions. You're here with co-host Father and Son Duo, Andrew and Jim Lindroth. Dad, how are you doing today? Doing great, Andrew. We are back in the United States for this week's guest, uh, a former goalie and hockey coach. Let's get right to it on this one. Yeah, we're excited to have with us today Joe Exter. So Joe, staying busy as a team, staying between the pipes as a goaltender in the OHL and the USHL, as well as USHS prep before committing to Merrimack College. He played for the team from 2000 to 2003 and even served as captain of the team his final year. Um, after his final year, he eventually signed a two-way deal um, with the AHL and ECHL for two years before eventually transitioning into coaching, taking his first job at the American International College. After a year there, Joe went on to coach between the USHL and the U.S. national uh, teams, whether it's the U18, the 20-year-olds, 17-year-olds, for several years and eventually made his way to Ohio State University as assistant coach in 2011. Joe coached with Ohio State from 2011 to 2017 before moving on to Michigan State University's hockey program. From 2017 to 2022, Joe helped build the powerhouse Michigan State University program. And as of this current season, he finally moved on to the pro, the North American Pro Circuit Leagues and the ECHL. And he is now currently with the Iowa Heartlanders as an associate coach. Without further ado, please welcome yeah. Joe Exter. Joe, how are you doing today, man? Oh, great. Great introduction. Though. That's pretty detailed and things people usually mess around because I haven't been doing it longer than you could imagine. You've got everything right. So we're off awesome. to a good start here. Good, good, good. And I, I got to say, being a, a Boston boy myself, uh, Merrimack College, I went to you know UMass Lowell and, and on my way from Beverly, the North Shore, I would always have to pass by Merrimack College yeah. over there. Isn't it in Andover? Andover slash North Andover. It's campuses yeah. in both. So yeah, and, with the, and, the address says North Andover, and I love Merrimack. It's great. They had brains. They would have their address in Andover because Andover obviously is a little bit bigger of a name in the world, and that would help them promotion-wise. And thankfully for you, you got a little taste of Andover because I've been to Lowell many a times. Yeah, it's yeah. Not well, as I was going to say, I was going to say, I I'd drive past, and you know, my dad would say, "That's where the rich kids go, Jim. You know, <laughs> they get a good scholarship." You're going to U Lowell. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And Andover abuts uh, Andover Academy, the prep school where many former presidents have gone. So it's kind of an interesting oh, wow. area. And credit to Lowell. Speaking of your alma mater, like we played when I was at state last year, we've played Lowell. And the job that Norm Basin's done there has been remarkable. Awesome. Well, Joe, you've had a long coaching career so far. So I don't want to harp on the playing career too much, even though that is a huge part of your story. But Bring us at least through the beginning first, at least the fans understand you played competitive major junior hockey, OHL, USHL, even the USHS prep before school. Kind of just bring us through those days before you signed with Merrimack College. Oh, player. Like at the time when I was growing up, like the, the route for Eastern guys would be play, obviously, youth hockey. And then when you had to make a decision, you would go to prep school, boarding school. And that's the route that I followed. I went to Cushing Academy. We were loaded as far as like we could have been the amount of players and four future division one players for sure. And even NHL players I was able to play with four years there for the best years of my life from there. Then it came decision-making time and I was a goalie and we were such a strong team. I didn't have a ton of opportunity on the division one level. So I said, all right, I think I can play this game. I'm going to go play in the OHL, see how far I can get. Went there, was there for some time. Things weren't working out. And I'd say it's more me. I just wasn't playing well enough. Things didn't work out, had a transition. And that's how I ended up playing in the USHL. But during that time, I, when I got things ended in Erie, I went back and worked with Billy Berglund, a goalie coach in the Boston area. Wasn't even on a team. I just simply go work, 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 try to get my game going and getting going better. And it's a great lesson for many of us. And I've taken it with me. You never know who you're going to come across and the impression you're going to leave on others. 
is how I got to Merrimack is Coach Serino got the job when he was done in UNH. He got the job in, in the spring. Some of the players on Merrimack, Jay Philbin, who's had a tremendous impact in my life, who I was with at Cushing, went to him and said, hey, if you want to build a program, this is the guy you got to get. That was me. So I wasn't even on a hockey team. Chris Serena was no longer with us, offered me a scholarship. What was that based on? The reputation I had with former players and credit to Chris, him remembering me from my time at Cushing, but also during that year, the U.S. program, who I eventually went and coached for years down the road, had exhibition games versus OHL teams. And I played in one of those games. And one of the few games I did do well in my time in Erie was that game. So God had it all laid out for me and took care of it. And all the stones aligned from there. Well, that's actually cool, cool story. Because yeah, usually, cool. you know, it's like, well, what's, what are some of the schools, you know, we're trying to recruit you and you just had a direct pipeline to where you want to go. Yeah. Merrimack's a great school. Yeah. Oh yeah. How, how tough is it though, in general, uh, and not just your playing career, but your coaching career, all your experience in the game of being a goalie where, you know, you don't have four lines of goalies. You got two, maybe three goalies on a team. <laughs> how tough is it for a goalie to make teams, make it? All? Oh, I think it's very difficult, but I also, there's so many, it's tough. Obviously the opportunity has got to be there. And that's what this position is all about is opportunity, but just being able to survive the storm, like the position itself. The ebbs and flows, like you're going to have your times, you're the guy, times you're not the guy, going well, not going well, and car traded, cut, et cetera. But if you can stay in the fight, kind of like a boxer, your opportunity is going to come again. If you have talent and you're willing to go through the grind, I think there will be lots of opportunity for you. And you can see that in the NHL now. There are guys rolling through the NHL. I think we can tie that back to what happened during COVID. Everybody just started signing all these goalies because they had to have protect themselves roster-wise. But when they were doing that, they realized, holy smokes, this game has changed tremendously. It's much more east-west. It's much more pressure around the net. More goalies are what? Getting hurt. It's more of a tiring position than what it was before. So what do you have to have depth? So as a goalie, it's there for you. But just make sure you work. Mentally, you got to be tough. And like anything in life, you got to have the ability to do it. So you commit to Merrimack College. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, and I've never seen this before, Dad. I don't know about you. I don't think we've ever had a guest. You did serve as team captain your senior year? Yeah, senior year as captain, junior year assistant captain. So I was thankful for that. And yeah, that's an honor right there. I'm, not, I'm sure it's definitely been done before, but at that time it was something like, like anywhere in life you want to leave an impact and leave an impression and make them better for having you. And that doesn't always mean like you won a national title or you won a hockey East championship or wherever you are for that matter in life. You just want to make sure the place that you have attended or the team you're on is better for having you. And um, that was my goal at Merrimack. And like we've, we've kind of gone over before we got on my goal, like anybody was, I want to win, win, win. What impact am I going to have? But my senior year, as you guys have probably looked up, obviously I was in a pretty horrific accident. It was in an induced coma for multiple, just over two weeks, or I'm sorry, for over 10 days, almost two weeks. And, the impact I led was just character, faith, and with the ability to just trust and believe in God and where it can lead you. And that's the impact, ultimate impact I left on Merrimack College. And thanks to God. Thanks to God. Now, I'm sure that uh, whether you're a captain as a goaltender or as a forward defenseman doesn't really matter. It's all the same job, the same responsibilities on the team. But like I said, we've never heard of a goalie serving as a team captain before. What did it take from you as a team captain? You know, dad and I talk about this with other people that served as captains for their teams. Is it being the bridge of communication of players? Did you ever have to kind of, if a coach was upset with a player and his performance, you say, let me talk to him type deal. What was kind of like your responsibilities as a captain, apart from like the generic things we all know? 
Oh, I think I think it was a great learning lesson my junior year when I was an assistant. That's when I learned you try to control everything when you're when you're a leader, you're a captain, you're worried about everything that there was in the world. And when you're playing goal or any position for that matter, your game is going to drop. And when I was trying to do that, my game dropped. Senior year, when I got the opportunity to be the captain, that's when I realized the best example of leadership that any of us can have is the example that you set. Have words without a doubt. Be will be able to be honest and speak with love, but confront things. But the best leadership you have is what you do in your actions. And that's what I learned. And that's what I did as a goalie. So play dropped senior, junior year when I was trying to control everything. I learned that it didn't happen because like any captain, you want to make sure the ship's going in the right direction. But then it helped me senior year. I was like, all right, hey, it's going to just show what I would expect out of everybody else and go from there. So not to relive this, I'm sure you don't. And uh, and I know it's a big part of your story. We could probably talk the whole podcast about this. But yeah, you, I think it was you played BC, you got hit. You actually ended up in a coma for a little bit. Not talk about the incident, because I'm sure you don't remember the incident if you were in a coma. <laughs> but you recovered from that and you come back and then you get signed as a pro. Right. I guess was able to, obviously things happen. I'm correct. I don't remember what happened, but obviously I know it did happen and come back. And like anything you're going through in life, you got to have a carrot at the end of the road in order to get some through something. And I love hockey. I want to be in hockey. And my goal was I want to be a professional hockey player. I want to be able to leave the game on my terms saying, Hey, I gave everything I had. So that's what we did that. My doctors were unbelievable. They supported that decision. They didn't hold me back and they weren't afraid i think today you probably go to doctors they probably try to just pull you oh if you do this this could happen mine were like hey you got one life you got to live it go out there and chase your dreams and i was able to do that unfortunately i was given that opportunity in the wilkesbury slash more importantly wheeling organization and gave my time there and that blossomed me and springboarded me into my career after hockey so now you sign your first pro contract talk a little bit about the difference and the in the adaptions you had to make from collegiate hockey to now you, you you got grown men supporting families. What, what What's the big transition and what adaptions, if any, did you make? Oh, I'd say like the game itself, for me personally, the game of go, the position itself was changing so much, whether it's like how it's played structurally, like your, how, which leg you get up with, how you recover, how you play plays along the post, et cetera. It was right during that time where a lot of things were changing. And I was an older goalie because I graduated college at 24 because I did my time in juniors, 24. So during that time, going from one league to the other, like you got to keep up with the Joneses if you're going to survive. So for me personally, it was a challenge being older, stuck in my ways. Let's ad adapt to this game and play a different way slightly. So that was one. And then two is in the league's grown so much. I was there during one of the NHL lockouts. That was one of the years that I was playing. So the talent level just got pushed down so much. But also during one of those lockouts, I think NHL teams realize the importance of development. So that's why there's been an added focus of maybe used to be an older league, the ECHL, where it's going younger and more development. And that's what I get to do every day here. So you make the, the transition into coaching and uh, you start in the collegiate world. Talk a little bit about uh, the beginning stages of, of making that transition. Well, like anything, coaching, I wanted to coach. And uh, you mentioned earlier I was a goalie and how tough it might be as a positional player to climb your way up the ladder in that area. So obviously I, people knew who I was because I was a goalie, but I wanted to shed just being a goalie coach. I wanted to be a coach. Unlike other sports, if I was like, say, a fantastic quarterback coach, usually you get, what, offensive coordinator. Then you become head coach of a team. So I first got into coaching. I was like, all right, forget it. Threw away my goalie skates. I'm going to be a coach. I'm going to show the world how, world how I can coach. 
Gary Wright gave me a great opportunity at AIC. How'd that come about? Like anything in life, you pick up the phone, you call, you pound the pavement, and eventually your opportunity will be presented to you. So I did a year there. Then I went to Cedar Rapids, Iowa, which is only 20 minutes away from where I am right now. And I worked with Coach Carlson, Mark Carlson, who recruited me when I was at Cushing. And he was at Northeastern. Never went there, obviously, but that was where our relationship started there. And then during my after my time there, which is some irony of the story, and those jobs aren't high-paying jobs by any stretch of the imagination. They're just jobs to get your foot in the door, and you got to be able to suck it up. So from there, my first legit, I'd say, pay job was with the U.S. national team. What was my role there? To be a goalie coach. So the first thing that I was tr- ch- trying to shed at the beginning is what got me in the door. But they were fantastic. It was four great years with me. The cast of coaches I was with was, with, was like going to grad school. And I was I said, hey, listen, I'm going to coach the goalies. We'll coach them better than any, goal, any of the goalies in the world are being coached. But if you do that, I got to be involved in all the areas. So I spent four years there. I was able to do World Juniors, U18s, U17s, et cetera. But more importantly, it was the coaches that I was around that I would help learn and mentor me to give me and have me ready for the next opportunities I was going to get, obviously, at Ohio State, Michigan State, and where I am now. So obviously, before we jump ahead, you're obviously – at the pro level now with guys that are supporting families and everything. But when you're back doing this with the developmental national team, the USHL teams that you're with, you're obviously working with kids. You might be working with parents. You're not just working towards their play on the ice, but also their character off the ice and teaching them. So now with the experience now that you have from this year working with pros compared to, and I know you worked with college too, but I'm talking like these kids are much younger, I believe. Right. So what was, the hardest part about your job, whether it was the assistant coach of the USHL or goaltending coach to teach these kids off ice on ice. Cause I, it's gotta be pretty tough sometimes, right? Oh, well, yeah. I mean, those are two different animals, AIC and Cedar Rapids. Those are completely different because AIC was like guys going to college, probably not going to be playing much afterwards. Cedar Rapids, everybody's trying to get a scholarship. So then they go the temptation. Should I take this? Should I not? How do I get to act? So those two different things. Then you get to the U.S. program. You're dealing with the best athletes, college, the best players in the country. So their pictures are completely different. So that's just different, like the actual challenges and opportunities that those groups face. But at the end of the day, they're all the same. How you carry yourself, the work you put in, and what you're willing to sacrifice and to achieve your goals are all the same. And your job as a coach is obviously – Show that you care about players, but I'll be able to speak with truth. That's a fine line you have to be able to walk because you can deliver a message to any age. I think we find that to now where if it's softened up to make them feel good, it's not going to get you anywhere. If it's harsh and it pushes them down, you're not, they're not going to receive it as well. So it's just a fine line of coaching is being able to deliver the message that you want to get across accurately, but also letting the players know you care about them. And now I imagine that. Um, even when you worked with, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong as well, you worked with under 17, 18s, and I think the 20-year-olds as well with the national development team over those years. Was yeah. there differences? I know I'm sure that there is differences between the age groups because you're, you're talking about guys in scholarships, maybe moving on to pro. What was the hardest one to coach? What was the hard, what was the most challenging? Which age group? Oh, well, we, with, the, with the U.S. program was with the 90s through the 94s, and they were all in the program at that time was taken – making such big strides to become the program they are now, which is the feed at the National Hockey League. And they were there at the time, but I think it's grown tremendously over those years. And I wouldn't say there's any like difficult part of it, but it's an honor. I think I've learned some great lessons by coaching. When you coach elite players, 
no matter what their age, you'll learn, you'll learn, but you got to be able to, you got to be willing to learn. I remember I was coaching John Gibson's goalie for the Anaheim ducks now. And like his thing is his body language. Like you could sit there and walk into a room and tell him, Hey, Gibby, this is what we got to do. And he just stare with you with a blank face. And as a coach, you always want like some gigantic reaction from your players. And early on that would upset me because at the same time I was coaching him, I was coaching Jack Campbell, coach goalie with the Oilers right now. It's around prior previously that he's been around the game for a while. You go and tell Jack something like, Hey, Jack, we got to do this. And this is why, Oh, coach, you're the greatest. Thank you. I can't wait to do it. So he leaves you thinking, this is fantastic. This guy gets it. So with Gibby, I'd always try to tell him something. He'd be just like dull. But then I know what that prevented me from doing, seeing what he was actually doing. He was listening and applying what I said. He wasn't just giving me the gratification. Hey, you're the best. Go get it. So I think it's great. You'll learn. Like you got to learn like from those guys. And that's how everybody's personality is different. Judge me by what I do on the ice and not the feelings I'm giving you about how I respond to what you say, because that's the ultimate deciding factor. I love yeah, coaching both of them, by the way. So from the coaching perspective, and, and, and you've been coaching a while now, so this will be interesting. Uh, when I ask this question, you'll know why I'm, I'm bringing that up. We've had on a, a, a bunch of coaches. I mean, we've had everybody from uh, uh, Mark Strobel, who is associate with uh, Wisconsin, uh, the assistant up at Vermont right now. So we've had on a few assistant coaches and the older guys, my age, 54 ish, they say one of the toughest things these days is communication with the players, meaning the players with the players because of the cell phone. And you've kind of lived through the growth of the cell phone. He, his main problem was, uh, you know, these guys don't communicate. They don't even know how to talk to each other. And, you know, sometimes they'll screw up a play in practice and he'd say, well, why don't you guys text each other? And maybe you guys will. So right. is it hard to coach these younger players that are so addicted to their phones? I mean, it really has affected. I'm a college professor here. And, you know, some of these kids don't know how to communicate just in general. Did you experience any of that? Oh, I'm sure along the line I have, but I wouldn't write it off the that being the reason why they're not listening. Obviously, it's our job to make sure that they are listening. You're not going to hide behind that. Um, I think that's all that comes down to, like, your job as a coach. you got to develop an environment. They're, the team is tight. That's our number one job by all of us, and that we do communicate. Because if not, without that, you're not going to be able to make it. And ultimately, they're willing to work and give everything they have. So I can't say that I've – obviously, the social media world has an impact on what goes on today. But – uh, I'd have to say the challenges for a coach is to make sure to eliminate that. And you got to build a group that's close enough where they communicate and get along and they can, you can help you win games. So I'm curious. So after, during this time period, you eventually end up at Michigan state university and you serve mm-hmm. as an assistant coach. Um, might sound like a dumb question, but it's genuine. I know that you probably wore many hats, but did you work a lot with the goaltenders or because you're an actual assistant coach, you had to worry about everything else? Cause we hear a lot from other assistant coaches and head coaches, whether it be AHL, ECHL, NCAA, most of the time the goalies are left alone from the main coaches, unless they have a Except specific goaltending coach. Right. So talk to us a little bit about that. Did you work with them a lot? Did you leave them alone? Oh, no, no, no. We work with them. I mean, we college is funny. Like, anything's funny. They tell, Oh, we come here. It's all about development, right? Oh, we're right. going to develop you when we come here. So you better pay attention to your goalies and, that's something in my background that I love to do and I enjoy doing. So whether it's at Ohio State, work with the goalies every day. Same thing at Michigan State. And yes, you do have to wear a lot of hats, but it's 
a great, they're all great hats to wear and you got to make sure you take it. I love doing all the things I was doing, whether it was recruiting, coaching positional players, coaching goalies, et cetera. You just got to make sure you find the time to do it. And I think the thing with coaching goalies, everybody's, especially if you haven't played the position, everybody's a little bit like tentative on how to handle it. You know how you have to handle it. You just be thoroughly honest with them and treat them like all the other guys because they're athletes just like all of us. And you just hammer in that area, show them that you can make them better. They'll buy into what you have to say. So East Coast questions now. Uh, sure. And of course, uh, you know, we're, we, we go to Tulsa Oiler game. So we're kind of tied into the East Coast uh, League. We've talked to a lot of players. We've talked to some coaches. I want to hear your feedback. So how do you deal in general with you've got an AHL player and they're not executing. They may even have an NHL contract mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and they're sent down and they're pissed about it. And you've got contracted players just from your team uh, who are probably not even going to get to the AHL. How can, how do you, how do you guys as a coaching staff navigate that? And I don't want to call them prima donnas, but you know what I'm saying? These guys may even have an NHL contract now they're sent down for the American League down there. You got to kind of play them because you're an affiliate. What does that do in the locker room or does it have any impact? I think the locker room that you establish at the beginning of the year helps carry through those situations. But as far as the individual, you know, you're dealing with a broken player. Not everybody's dreaming about playing in the ECHL, but you have to be confront them. Like, listen, our job is we know you want to be in the American in the American League. We want you to be in the American League, but the only way to get to the American League is to develop and perform in this league. So that's where it starts. And then from there, we just address the needs of that individual player. Like everybody, the easiest thing to say is focus on the moment, take advantage of the opportunity, be present. And that's up to us as a staff to show them that we're here for them. We're not holding anybody back from anything. And we're going to help them get there so that when you do get back, you're ready to perform and not sent back to us. So kind of going along the lines of this question, um, you know, it's known that in the ECHL, the head coaches, you know, they're also signing players are kind of like the GMs for the team as well. So do you ever have a part in that right now this year? Or my other question too, is like you said, guys being up and down. I remember when Tulsa Oilers made their championship run, all of a sudden everybody gets pulled up to the San Antonio team to AHL. You kind of lose like your playoff team. You got to pull guys up from the Southern Professional League or whatever. Have you experienced that? And do you have any say in signing players with the coach or anything? Oh, yeah. Derek and I, was, Derek's great to work for. We, every day we're in the room trying to make sure we get the right players in here. And it goes in phases. Summer's like a heavy recruiting area, very similar to college. We got to recruit your team, guys that didn't make it to the American League, et cetera. But the key is, so you want to get great young players that are coming out of college that can help your team immediately. So then, so part of that, without a doubt, you got to make sure you surround yourself with veteran ECHL players. And then you got to have to have a strong affiliate that provides you with players knowing there's going to be phases through the year. And every team goes through it where the higher levels are hit with injuries, et cetera, whether it's the NHL that affects the American league, which then affects us. You have to be able to brace yourself for that. But I think it's important that you take advantage when you have a full core of players, it's key to be successful during those times. So what do you feel now you you've got a, a almost a year back into the East coast league, um, East Coast League, from our perspective, uh, it's much faster than what it was even 10 years ago. Um, it is a rough and tumble league. There's a lot of talent. Uh, were you surprised coming back uh, to the East Coast League or 
Do you remember when you were goalie? Is the game changed at all? What What is your impression overall? The league. I'll talk about the league. The league's better. Yeah. The talent depth rope North America is better than it was 20 years ago when I was playing. So it's a trickle down effect of everything. Like to play in this league full time, it's tough. Yeah. You have to be an excellent hockey player that has work ethic, detail, and skill, obviously. So that's been the hugest, like the amount of natural talent that's out there for all of us to choose from has helped improve this game. And that goes back to the youth levels. Then you go junior, college hockey, et cetera. I think the big change right now that's hurting, or not hurting, but it's in, impacting a lot of levels is the extra year all these college guys are getting. Oh, yeah. So the COVID year. So now you're dealing with guys that probably right. should trans- transfer into pro hockey if they want to be pro hockey players are playing their senior year somewhere or doing their fifth year somewhere. So that'll be the challenge recruiting wise, building a team for next year. But I'd say this league overall, just the skill level is increased. So you got to make sure you have great skilled players at this level, competitors, but you need veterans. Do you blame them for wanting to come back for that one more year that they maybe miss their senior year? Or uh, do you think that they should just go pro? Uh, well, it's a great question. I, I don't blame them at all. Like, who wouldn't like, if you want to be a pro hockey player, and what's pro hockey becoming right now? Younger. Yeah. yeah. So if your ultimate goal, you've just put four good years into college and um, you want to become the best pro hockey player that you can be, do you think that's going to be when you're 25 years old or when you're now you better take that opportunity? It's right. case by case. You could get a kid who went to school when he was 22 years old, right? right? As a true freshman, et cetera. And okay, maybe that extra, that extra year could do him a benefit. But if you're older and you want to be a pro hockey, pro hockey player, play pro hockey. And I think it's funny, like it came up with this COVID year. And I'll speak on this. I, I just, things happen in life. I think I can speak firsthand for that. If anybody wants to question that, we can share stories together. Some might be a tremendous injury that happens, could take the game away from you. Some be, could be a pandemic that happens. It's part of life. And I don't know how much of a benefit this is going to do anybody by giving them the extra year. And so you said that you are working with the head coach to sign players, make sure you guys have the best players on your roster. What do you look for in particular? Maybe not play-wise to go so many fast or anything, but I imagine character now more than ever is huge, especially with, you know, social media. And if you make one small mistake, it's very magnetized. What is it like now when you do sign players? I'm sure you're looking more into just their playing. Yeah, character is huge with at any level, whether you're recruiting juniors, national program, college, then pro, even the NHL is doing the same thing. They're doing background checks in every way they can because the whole idea of a team is the locker room. You want to make sure you're putting guys in the locker room that are going to make it stronger and tighter, not blow the thing up. So we're always doing background checks. Then after that, it goes positionally where what you need. And ultimately, I think the toughest positions to find in hockey these days would be center right shot D and goaltenders. Gotcha. So it's tough to um, answer this question because in the East coast, now you've got to pretty much as far as a scouting perspective, check all the boxes now. I mean, you know, maybe 20, 30 years ago, it could be, maybe he wasn't fast or maybe uh, you know, he wasn't uh, you know, leading with his stick when he skated or whatever the case may be, everything checks the box, but Nobody really talks too much at first about competitiveness. So if you've got a guy that's fast, you've got a guy that uh, does everything well with his feet, great hockey IQ, 
uh, fighter in the, in the boards comes out with the puck. If he's missing one of those, but his competitiveness is so strong, does that make a difference? Or if he has all those things and is lacking that competitiveness, does that make a difference to you? They all do. I think Derek does this. Why? That's what I want to be. But we run this. Bro- like everybody says, you're in the ECHL. You're in the ECHL. Absolutely. But what do we run this like? Like it's our NHL. This is our NHL. Right. So we're doing a background check on every single area of their game. And then ultimately, yes, there's going to be holes in everybody's game that's here. There's holes at the top levels, players' games, less holes clearly than the next level of the American League. And here there are more holes. I think the one hole that's going to be very difficult to teach somebody is being a competitor. So you suck it up a little bit in the areas with skill and fanciness, et cetera, because that's an element that you need to have. And that can get through short term, but big picture, you have to be competitive. So if you're missing the competitive part of your game, it'll be exposed. And last thing about the coaching, and then we're going to give a couple quick lightning round questions before we go. Uh, Talk a little bit about locker room culture currently, and what are you guys doing to to continue to develop that culture? I mean, we look, since we're, Bruins fans right now, of course, when you're winning, that's going to create a good culture in the locker room anyway, but they seem to be a really close knit group, great locker room culture. Um, We notice here in Tulsa, I'm not sure if it's this year, we haven't gone to too many games, but Rob Murray here in Tulsa has created a good culture. He's been here for about maybe five years now. Uh, The players like playing in Tulsa. What are you guys doing with your locker room culture to make that a close knit unit? Or what does a coaching staff do? Well, you got to get the right players in there. That's why we, we, we've already touched on the background checks and everybody, character, et cetera, workers go from there. Our job is to make sure when they show up to the rink every day, they feel they're getting better. If you want them invested in you, you want to make sure you're in an environment where they're getting better, whether it's putting workouts together for them, individual skill work, video work, et cetera. So that's our job as coaches. And, no matter what's going on in your season, you have to be consistent and you got to move on to that next day. I think you could touch Boston. I was, we know I grew up in the Boston area, Rhode Island, close to Boston. And they got a fabulous coach in Jim Montgomery, obviously Bergeron, Poster, all those players are playing right now. But when was that lead? You can go back to Chara. You can go back to Bergeron as a young player. And I'm sure I'm definitely missing a lot of players there, but it takes time to build the right culture. That's why it's so important. You, If you want to be successful at anything, lay the foundation with the locker room, the expectations, and then keep filtering the right players in there. The ones you want will stay and make it. The ones you don't want will not. And that'll be the best recruiting tool that you'll have. They'll help you get players down the line in the future. Now, my last question before we head to the lightning round, I don't know if you can speak on this or not, um, but try and give us some details, especially for the fans. What are your plans after this year? Are you signed to the Iowa Heartlanders to come back next year? Are you kind of waiting? Because you were in NCAA for a long time. Now you're pro. Do you like the pro league better than NCAA? Where's your head? Oh, oh, I, I, think, I think the head coach is sitting right there. He doesn't want to, you know. Yeah, you oh, know. I, I've, I've had great op- Nobody. I've had great opportunities. I'm never going to complain about the opportunities that I've had. College experience is fabulous. U.S. program is awesome. AIC. Then you go to juniors. And it's funny stories like back. I did get offered a job to get into pro hockey a while ago before I went to Ohio State. It was as a goalie development coach. Okay. But what did I tell you? I want to be in the, in the beginning. I want to be head coach. I want my own team. So we're the future. and Where God's going to bring me. That's the answer to my your question right there. God's taking me on a journey, me and my family on a journey that we could have never written ourselves. 
and there's been some ups and downs through it all, but it's always been for the right reasons. So that's how I leave everything. It's in God's hands. And I know it's going to work out just fine. We're going to throw just some fast questions. You could just give us a name, a place. If you got a story, the time's yours. But uh, we ask these fast questions. You want me to start? Yeah, you go ahead and go start. Who is the guy in your collegiate year on? Who is a guy, a goal scorer that he came down and you just went, oh, shit. I can't say I was saying that at the time, but I should look back and say it now. It'll be Brian Gianta. I helped him set all the records he set at BC. So when you when you're when you're sizing up, up a player, when you're sizing up a player coming down, uh, what goes through your mind? What goes through the goalie mind? We never asked this yeah. question. Oh, I, we are not intimidated. I'll tell you that. You just obviously number one job of a goalie: square to the puck. That's the option. But also today's world, you better know his first option and second option. So, you know, goalers are known to be a little crazy. I mean, you guys got pucks going at 100 miles an hour shooting at you, and you guys were willing to stand there and do it. Um, do you have, did you have any weird, like, free rituals and stuff? We see the stuff now, you know, the, the weird things. And stuff. Did you have no. any, anything interesting now? Were you no. the normal goalie? <laughs> I'm the normal guy every – I'd say I was much more normal of a goaltender than if you had to – I'm a very routine-based guy. So I wake up every morning. I like to have coffee. I like to work out. And then I hit the rest of the road, the road running. So – routine based not superstitious based did you ever meet or play with a goalie you know without calling him out that was that typical weird goalie you're looking at him like dude you're strange you give us a no i mean i've, I've been around ones that you, especially coaching wise you can see him go through with the young guys they watch tv they think that's what it is and you can just go up to them and say hey it doesn't work and then we can get back to getting better that's pretty funny uh, all right strange question uh Anything the most crazy or embarrassing thing to happen to you during a game or warm-up? Oh gosh. I mean, I the craziest thing that's ever happened to me or the biggest blessing. Obviously, we can just look it up yourself. Obviously, when I got hurt. Right. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if I can match more intense thing for that to happen. And as far as like uh I can't think of anything sitting on the bench backing up stinks. So that's not always a fun position to be in, whether whatever level you're at. Did you ever have like the OHL is pretty tough league and everything, even like if you go up to the college days, your pro days, did you ever have a rat in your career? Yeah. Was there anybody, anybody that got under your skin, anybody that, that stood in front of the net just annoyed you all the time? I can't name anybody specifically. No, but I would say that like anybody that, uh, they're, they're all rats. There's five of them out there. They're trying to score on you. So I don't think I liked any of them. How's that? <laughs> All right, last one for me, uh, and this is just, uh, I guess we'll go collegiate, so uh, Merrimack College, and uh, tied into that whole uh, Hockey East. Who had the worst locker room slash ice conditions? Oh, boy, worst lo – oh, can't answer this, the ice conditions pot there. I would have to say the old BU Arena's locker room was average. Great environment, though. Much better than the current facilities. So my last question, and normally it's revolved around the playing career, but we kind of, I'm sure we understand what would be the best part from your playing career is coming back from that horrific injury. So for your coaching career, without sounding too generic and broad, what has been the best memory so far? Oh, the highlight of it all was 2010. John Carlson scoring a goal in overtime to win the, win the World Juniors. That's awesome. That Never have awesome. a better feeling than that until we win something big again. Cool. 
Joe, uh, we're out of time, but we can't thank you enough. This has been great because we've had a goalie slash coach, something we've not had on no. here in the pod. We can't thank you enough for joining us, man. Yeah, thank oh, you. It's been great. I have no idea who I was getting on. Like, all these guys are from Oklahoma, right? Wherever you live. <laughs> I, was yeah. like, oh, I told Derek, I told him, he's like, yeah, yeah, they reached out to him. I'm like, all right, I'm going to give him a shot because I want to make sure we grow the game, grow the Iowa Hotlanders, and whenever I can get in front of anybody to talk about hockey, I'll do that all day. Awesome. Well, thank you, Joe. We appreciate it, man. So we've never had a goalie slash coach, but it makes sense. And um, we, were, we were limited just on time based on his schedule, our schedule. Right. But, uh, yeah, it is hard for goalie, you would imagine, because you got goaltending coaches. Right. And then you got regular coaches. Right. And he, you know, I could see why he'd want to be a regular coach. I mean, right. why can't goalies <laughs> coach? Of course they can. Right. So, uh, you know, that's part of the reason why uh, when we were looking for guests, uh, he came on our radar. And and uh, I think it's taken us a little bit. I don't know. I'd have to look back. But it's been a little bit trying to get him scheduled. We're glad it worked out. Yeah, and of course, uh, I know we didn't talk a lot about it because we knew that could have taken up most of the time with the horrific injury he had a senior year, um, was in a coma, like you said, for 10 days. I mean, if you look it up, you can find out information about it. It's pretty crazy for him to be able to come back and play pro hockey for two years. And if you look up the stats, he was not a bad goaltender, bro. It's nope. just lost in the jungle there. There's just a lot of depth at goalie at that time. But very nice guy, and it's very cool to see somebody get through that and just live his dream. It's pretty cool. It is, it is. Uh, next week we have more guests yes and i can't remember if we're going back over to the uh eihl over in the uk or not i i, I don't think we are but i don't know no, actually i think we are i think it's a uh it's going to be a dundee player okay awesome we won't give it away yet but uh we'll figure it out because sometimes the scheduling gets a little mixed up but we try and do a couple of weeks so we'll see but we want to thank everybody for their continued support our podcast has grown 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 uh, you know, we're averaging about uh, 3,000 uh, downloads uh, per episode, and we're reaching a lot of milestones and getting a lot of mileage, and that's because people are listening. So we want to thank everybody, and they're literally from all over the world, Yeah. Uh, but, but definitely U.S., Canada, and the U.K. for sure is our biggest listeners, and we try to feed them once a week of a hockey story, a hockey journey of a player or a coach or a GM. Yeah. Absolutely. And again, we appreciate everybody always tuning in and listening to the podcast. Thank you, guys. Take care.